and welcome to Ox Talks. I'm your host, Chris Oxley. And I invite you to follow me on an ever-evolving journey through the fascinating realms of psychology, leadership, and neuroscience. While this podcast was originally crafted to cater to those navigating the intricate world of wealth management and private banking, I now view it as a personal odyssey, a chronicle of my captivating conversations with these particularly intriguing individuals. Together we'll unearth profound insights and priceless wisdom, igniting fresh passions that will drive growth and development in both our professional and personal lives. Inspired by the sheer wealth of knowledge and charisma in this field, my mission is to shine a spotlight on the curiously interesting individuals I'm privileged to encounter. And so I extend a warm welcome to all who share an interest in these subjects. Company culture is a constant topic within the modern workplace, but what actually is it? Today's guest, Ben Williams, gives us some insights into what it's all about. Hi, Chris. Good to be here. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, it's, it's, it's amazing to have you as my first guest, considering you were the first actual psychologist I ever reached out to when I was beginning my studies or looking to even find the avenue of, of, of the studies that I needed to go down for, for psychology. So thank you ever so much for coming on board. But it'd be great for our audience just to understand you know, who you are and, and what you do in the market. If you can give us a, a bit of an overview on that, please, Ben. Yeah, really happy to, and, and a pleasure to be here. So I'm a business psychologist. Um, I'm chartered as an occupational psychologist and registered with all the appropriate bodies. Um, my niche is in the area of assessing people. So I try to map the human mind within the business context for recruitment purposes, trying to find the perfect person to fill a position. For development purposes, trying to find where someone is now and where they aspire to be and looking at the gap. And also the things like performance appraisal and uh, and activities like that. So we offer um, my company, Sten Ten, has been around now for eleven years, and we work with a really broad range of companies. Sometimes doing your more traditional bread and butter assessment work. So we'll design an assessment centre or a competency model or a psychometric test. And sometimes we get a bit of a curveball. So we might get uh, recently we had a an author write to us and said, uh, "Could you put my book?" into a psychometric test that could accompany their view on inclusive leadership. So quite a broad range of things, but all in the area of assessing people. Amazing, amazing. Thank you for that. So we're going to come on today and talk about quite a broad subject that, you know, through my executive search work, I hear all the time is everybody talks about company culture. And and the more business leaders I speak to, the more varied opinion on what that even is and, and how that works comes about. So I thought as a good start, let's bring on an expert who can actually help us define what that is. So as a starting point, Ben, can you give us an overview on, on you know, what actually is company culture? Yeah, I mean, I think your experience of finding that it's defined differently in different places is, is very realistic. There is no kind of set in a tablet of stone, this is what company culture is. I guess my view is that it's, um, it's the synopsis of the way things are done around here. So it's the collection of behaviours that become the norm across the company. And I guess also those things that lie just beneath the surface. So the motivation for why we do what we do around here, the closer that is aligned between individuals, then I think the stronger and more clearly defined the company's culture is. So yeah, it's the way things are done around here, I would say. Okay, great. What typically areas that are considered a good culture and, and a bad culture? And can this vary from firm to firm, depending on what they're 
you know, you've mentioned motivations and that's something I talk about a lot is would a business have different motivations and therefore cultures can be different and varied in, in, in different firms? There's like the obvious answer that if you take things to extremes, then obviously, yes, there are cultures that would generally be considered toxic by anyone's benchmarks. So where people come into work um, fearful of saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing, and they actually suffer physical um, manifestations of that stress as a result of it. But I guess another lens might be, well, taking some of those extremes out of the equation, it's a bit like people's personality. There's no such thing as a fundamentally wrong or right personality within the normal bounds. It's just some people might prefer to be more talkative and other people might prefer to be more quiet or some people might prefer to be more planful and some people might prefer to be more spontaneous. And it's similar with a company's culture. So we've worked with some companies who would define a good culture as being one where people speak very plainly, directly and bluntly to one another and they don't like beat around the bush because they feel that that kind of culture of driven, targeted communication gets stuff done and moves things on more quickly. Other companies would have a different culture and would say, actually, we are very focused upon empathic communication, making sure that people aren't um, kind of particularly offended or, 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 or take things to heart. And we check in with people a lot about how the communication has landed. And for them, that's the right culture for them. So um, I, I would say that either of those are right or wrong. What I would probably say is, a key thing as to whether a culture is good or not is the degree of match between what those at the top who say, look, this is what we would like the culture to be, this is how we're going to behave and act in order to embed that, are, and how the employees, what the employees want from the job, or maybe what the desired employees want from the job. So if you're thinking, actually, we need people who are going to be um, highly creative, quite freewheeling, quite um, spirited, quite willing to break the mould, think of new ideas here, then the company's match needs to be aligned with what the employees want from the job. So you need to recruit people that are equally innovation-focused, breaking the mould, etc. If you have a mismatch, so if you say, well, actually, what we want is this really creative hive of bubbling innovation, and you've hired the wrong people, or your motivation tactics from your managers don't incentivize that kind of behavior, or maybe actually it becomes unsafe to engage in that kind of behavior, that's when a, a culture becomes unhealthy, when there's a mismatch between what's desired and where you are currently. There are probably some other good general guidelines. I think I mentioned it in passing there about psychological safety. So do people feel okay to speak up? Do people feel okay to admit when they've made a mistake so that that can be learned upon? And, that's, and, and there is evidence to suggest that those kind of environments are those that tend to do better commercially. Things like the organization's ethical standards. So generally, people are not going to say, we want to work for an unethical organization. But how visible is that organization's commitment to um, sustainability, for example, or diversity, or, or whatever it might be? So having that front and centre often is a good aspect of company culture. Things like work-life balance are quite an interesting one. I mean, you would like to think that a good company culture always involves a healthy respect for work-life balance. But there are, I guess, the whole work-hard, play-hard culture that actually does lead to really strong commercial success for some companies people love, and they would feel quite constrained and quite dull if they were clocked on at nine and clocked off at five. So. I think it's a case of 
like examining what's going to work best within the context you're working in. And I think that leads us on to almost what I would say just is such an important question when I'm talking to business leaders as well, is that how does a business leader know what their culture is or even how they identify what culture they want within the business and then the steps to achieving that culture and, and, and you know how do we assess that how do we how do we find that what what is there a, is there a set process that you might go through with a business to first even identify what culture that they want to create let alone you know them building that yeah it's uh it's an interesting one i mean you can uh, often it's it's useful to have a starter for 10 when you're having discussions with firms. And there are models of corporate culture that you could use as a start point. So when I used to work for SHL, Test Publisher, they had something called the Corporate Culture Questionnaire. And they had, I think it was like 16 to 20 different facets of corporate culture. And part of the interventions that we sometimes did was to say, well, look, let's look at where you believe you are currently and where you'd like to be. And then that was actually sent out as a survey across the organization. So you could see the gap between the where we are now and where we'd like to be. Um, that was a very quantitative way of doing it. And there are companies out there that will offer kind of questionnaires that can assess that. I think the other thing is to ask people in a more qualitative way. So have either qualitative surveys about the kind of culture that people feel exists currently or what they'd like to encourage more of, focus groups. Um, looking at things like your exit interview data. So why are people leaving? Um, if you don't have exit interviews, then coming up with those, having that's part of the process, having a qualitative script, having it being conducted by someone outside the company, ideally, so people aren't, don't feel biased in their responses. I mean, I think you can you can also look at some organizational statistics, like what what's our retention rate like? How does that compare to the industry average? Um are we getting referrals from our employees? Are they trying to entice others to join and to work for, for you? Or are they not? Um, which, which perhaps is a bit of a red flag. And then looking at things like, yeah, what's your absence rate like? What's your productivity rate like? And I think taken in the round, this kind of like company performance data, qualitative conversations, and then maybe some quantitative survey type um, information uh, you can get a really good understanding of where you are and do a bit of a gap analysis about where you need to be. And then in terms of that gap analysis and, and what that might look like, if it, a business owner goes through a process and, and understands, okay, the culture that, that I'm looking for isn't in place at the moment, how do we then understand what they actually want as a culture? And then are there key, are there usual trends within businesses that don't have a particularly good culture? And then what they need to do to effectively achieve a better culture? Is there, is there something that's quite typical across businesses in that space? I think uh, I, it does vary. So um, what, what people want to address will vary. There are probably some fairly standard responses to some of the, um, where the gaps arise. So let's say a company that says, look, we, we want to be a learning organization. We want to learn from our mistakes and, uh, and, and improve and get better and better. And if, and if currently people say we're not very good at that, then it's, that's when you maybe would have a bit of a discussion and say, how can we make it more of a, uh, like a, a safe environment to give feedback? Is it the fact that we don't have the skills to give feedback? We don't know how to give feedback effectively. Is it that we're scared of giving feedback because we're worried about the ramifications because the managers never do it, therefore we haven't seen it role modelled much and we're a bit worried about how we do it? Is it about maybe a systemic approach and saying, look, 
we need a post-project review built in at the end of every one of our projects that's going to be tracked it's going to be on people's kpis that we have these post-project reviews and be absolutely clear about what we're going to do with that data so that's not going to then be used to beat people over the head with it's going to be used to then inform maybe where the training and development budget goes uh, generally speaking that the the solution ends up being quite customized to the need of that particular company at that particular time and i would say it's it it, it is really broad i think thinking about Probably the most common theme that I'm seeing at the moment is trying to maintain a collaborative culture when working hybrid or remotely. So people um, saying, well, actually, I feel quite detached from my team and it's, and it's actually quite hard to like just have those like five minute, like I'm going to quickly turn around to the person next to me and ask them a quick question and then come back. And that's not happening anymore. And companies will be trying different things around that whether it's new messaging apps, whether it's um, allocated days in the office. No one seems to have quite got like the perfect answer to it yet. But yeah, but that's that's when uh, you, you kind of try out a few things and you kind of test and measure and say, well, what's the feedback for that? Did that work? Has that improved people's perception of the culture? And that's quite the, the advantage of having that quantitative approach is you can track it over time. So you can say time one, we scored a three out of 10. Time two, after spending X amount and initiating these initiatives, we're now scoring six out of 10 um, or seven out of 10. So there's a demonstrable kind of return on investment. Absolutely. And that sounds like it's the most important part. Is it, it sounds almost like there's quite a bit of almost trial and error to, to, to find out what works and how to get that data. Yeah, I think it's kind of like informed trial and error. So it's, uh, it's, it's yeah, see what other people have done. Um, that seemed to work there. Let's, let's try that here and, yeah, and, and, and see how it works. But, uh, but, yeah, I think it is like test and measure, a little bit like with, a lot of that aspects of business psychology, it's, well, you can stand on the shoulders of giants and you can say, well, personality questionnaires often work in this context. Let's um, apply it to our recruitment setting and see how well it predicts performance. And you can be guaranteed of a certain level of success, but actually, yeah, it's only when you test and measure, you can see whether it's you've broken the mold or whether it's uh, more more of a moderate improvement in, in validity. So once we know what culture is or, or what culture we're looking to have within a business how do we go about assessing potential new employees so they fit with that culture and also what are the dangers of assessing candidates against cultural fit as well yeah i'd say maybe i'll maybe i'll take the second one first because i think that one is it's almost become a bit of a dirty word to say we're going to assess someone for cultural fit yeah because it's got connotations of does your kind of face fit around here? So perhaps assessing people against non-job relevant criteria. So are you a bit of a laugh? Are you the kind of person that I could see going out with on a Friday um, after work? Um, but also perhaps from a diversity and inclusion perspective, um, it could be seen as well. The, the prevailing culture is quite a, a laddish going out for a drink after work kind of culture. And do you fit in with that? And if you're someone that doesn't drink for religious reasons or you have family commitments that mean you can't go out after work, that's obviously going to make you feel completely discriminated against. I mean, it is discriminated against. So I think there's that danger is that you have to be very careful about what you mean by culture. And it needs to be things that are demonstrably linked to doing better at the job. I think there's also the danger of cloning. So we had one of our clients who about maybe 15 years ago, recruited graduates from a range of different disciplines for a trading type job. 
And they were saying, well, look, the, the diversity of having someone who had an English literature degree versus someone who had an economics degree helped us to really get some competitive advantage because they were thinking in ways that the economists weren't. But what happened over the intervening years is that they looked at who tended on average to be the better performers and they'd really narrowed down their selection criteria to say, well, actually, it's now these types of people from these types of degree subjects, et cetera, et cetera. And they were worried they were losing their competitive edge because they didn't have that diversity. And fitting people into the culture and not saying, look, we're a broad church, you can go about your job in any way that you like, as long as you get to the end result, you could be unwittingly limiting yourself. All of that said, um, so those are the dangers. But if you say, well, no, there's still something there I still want to assess against um, culture, then I would be really trying to pin it down and saying, what does that look like behaviorally? Um, so this is where I'd be going back to things like competency models and saying, right, well, let's express your desired culture through a competency model. And, and that's where you, like the example I used earlier about straight talking, that ended up being encoded within a, a competency that was then assessed in things like a role play. So you have a role play with a team member that's not performing so well. Do you choose to like tiptoe around the issue or do you actually deliver the feedback quite straightforwardly, quite bluntly, um, and to see whether you fit in with the, the culture that you're joining? I think the same thing around like motivation. So build it into your selection process, into the interview. So what are they looking for from their career? from their boss even. I think that's one of the other things that's quite interesting about company culture is that they often say people don't leave companies, they leave their bosses. So um, is the boss going to be the living embodiment of the positive company culture that you want to be able to embed against others? But, but yeah, I would say that you need to define it in behavioral terms, devise the appropriate assessment to test those. I would also say that there's a really strong argument for making it a two-way assessment. So. Um, give them a realistic job preview. So rather than using an off-the-shelf role play, use the role play that's going to explain more about the culture that you're joining and let the candidate decide, would I enjoy it here or would I find this stressful or unenjoyable? And, and much like the online test, like a situational judgment test, give them some tasters of what the culture is like here and they can decide if that's appealing or if that's something that, that turns them off. So make it a two-way process. Yeah, no, I completely understand that. Okay, well, look, we, we wanted to keep this relatively short and just and just punchy uh, for, for the audience so they could have some key takeaways and, and, and step away from that. Um, we'll certainly add into the comments a, a link to reach out to Ben if if you have any more questions around culture or, or the business psychology work that, that Ben gets involved with. But just as a, a final question, there's something that, that I want to ask everybody who, who comes on the podcast, Ben. Um, you're obviously a, an expert in psychology. Are you able to give us just a snippet um, within the world of psychology, just a piece of information that's always stuck with you that you found fascinating about this world on, on completely any subject that you'd like to? Well, if I think about just a snippet of information that others might find interesting off the top of my head, then it's probably what got me into psychology in the first place. So I, I'd, uh, I don't tell anyone, but I chose it as an easy third A-level um, way back, um, as well as English and history. But what I just started finding fascinating was how psychologists have been able to assess something as nebulous as the human mind and personality. So finding out that your short-term memory holds about seven chunks. You're like, oh, really? It's like, well, yeah, give or take a couple chunks, that, that's it. And then you start finding out that personality, time and time again, starts to coalesce into these five or six facets of personality that are really robust. So you say, oh, wow. And I guess that's 
that's kind of how I've ended up where I am today in a company that specialised in assessment and a, and a company that's called Sten 10, which is a reference to the point on the bell curve where you come out um, in your performance in a test, 10 being at the top end, the top 2%. Brilliant. Well, look, thank you ever so much for coming on. We'll try and get you back on at some point with, with some other areas of expertise and um, look forward to catching up with you again. Brilliant. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, Chris. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Ox Talks. It's an absolute privilege to explore the fascinating intersection of these fields with our incredible guests. And if you found inspiration in our conversation, I encourage you to not only subscribe to Ox Talks on your preferred podcast platform, but also to seek out and follow our guests too. Anticipation is already building for our next guest, and I sincerely hope you'll join us for the upcoming episode of Ox Talks. Thank you for being a part of the Ox Talks family, and we can't wait to have you with us again soon. Thank you.